Paul Cheshire, I'm not from Britain, but I knew about green belts when I was growing up. And to me, they seemed to be a kind of beacon of civilization. We looked at Britain and we envied this culture. Now, you're the guy who says basically, Tom, I them over. <laughs> this, of course, as you know, Connor, is nonsense. I do not say Tom, I them over. You do say they're a handsome subsidy to horsey culture and golf. And indeed, they are a form of discriminatory zoning. Originally, as envisaged, they were going to be the green lungs of the big cities, provide breathing space, recreation space. A, you know, a wonderful visionary idea. The reality is that they were provided for in the 1947 Act, but they were implemented in 1955. And when they were implemented, it was quite explicit in the minister's statement that they were to prevent further urban development. So they're not accessible because they're mainly private land. The biggest single land use in them is intensive agriculture, which has got an environmentally negative benefit, cost in other words. Uh, and there's no real um, amenity value in much of them. So what we need much more mm. is not to have uh, sort of regard for the designation, but for regard for the underlying reality. Are they environmentally substantial quality places? Is it an amenity? Is it providing an amenity for the public? If it is, don't build on it. But it fits a kind of British feeling of the rustic. You know, we prefer, let's agree, that there is a quite a serious housing problem in this country now. We'd prefer to be able to point to some oligarch or some rich second homer and say it's all their fault. You're making it difficult for us not to blame ourselves. Well, that's because we're to blame. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, we've been, in the last 20 years, we've built something between 1.6 and 2.3 million too few houses. There really is a long-term housing crisis in this country. Housing has become completely unaffordable. We're splitting into the housing haves and the housing have-nots, and that's because we refuse people the permission to build in places where it's absolutely obvious you should build. But there is a problem here which is about turning common sense, and I'm not defeating here or fighting your common sense, into political reality because we've got the telegraph, you know, that barometer <laughs> of a voting, if not a Middle England, hands off our land. You've got a really good remark by Colin Wiles, the Green Belt is an ideological marginal line that must be defended at all costs. The political reality, what you call the kissing baby politicians, they're not going to do anything about the Green Belt. Uh, about in, until 2010, I was a member of an official body charged with being expert on housing and planning, and I couldn't say what was obviously true. It's been, I felt it was my job since 2010 to try to put into the public debate what are the facts, because the problem is not going to go away, mm -hmm. it's going to get progressively worse. And the, the real choice is between sensibly, strategically and intelligently revising what we do and building on just a tiny proportion of the least environmentally attractive parts of the yeah. Greenbelt on the one hand, or stumbling from crisis to crisis so the whole system falls apart and we just have a free-for-all. So help to buy is a disaster. Help to buy is a disaster. Disaster is too strong a word because it only has a small effect. It's certainly a negative. It's like the Labour Party's proposals. Yeah. It's it, the best, what, best thing you can see say for them is they're not going to have that much difference. Another thing that happens to uh, people in LSE, we've seen in Geertie Grillings in the past, their policy is implemented, but not as they wanted it. Now, you know, supposing <laughs> the government listened to you, you'd be back in three or four years here, and there would be no Greenbelt, 
but there wouldn't be all the nice things that you say should happen in cities either. There'd be ribbon development, the capitalists would get hold of the land, all the sort of concessions that you would have got would have disappeared. That's a problem, isn't it? It is a problem, and indeed I could point to the community infrastructure levy as something which in some sense I had responsibility for. I was an advocate of impact fees. It got translated into the community infrastructure levy, which is really stupid. Uh, it's really badly implemented. It's causing all sorts of havoc. Of course there's that danger, but the, the much greater danger is that we don't really look at the problem and radically reform it. And we will have to. And it's much better to do that before you have the, what you were describing just now as a sort of free-for-all, mm -hmm. go anywhere, because there are places that we need not to build yeah. on. Yeah, but then in a way we have to embrace what you've called yourself, radical reform, which is frightening. Radical reform is frightening, but you can't have reform that will work unless you have radical reform. So the choice is between, you know, between a rock and a hard place and the rock is going to get more and more unpleasant unless we actually face the facts. Paul Cheshire, thank you so much for subjecting yourself to the Geerty Grilling. You're very welcome, Connor. <laughs>